Welcome to Cocktails and Capital, the working on your business podcast that feels more like grabbing a drink with your best friend. I'm your host, Sarah Tatum, that best friend. I'm the owner of Tatum Accounting, where we invite our clients to take a vacation from their bookkeeping. In this podcast, I'm going to give it to you straight. Talking points and vague tips, we don't do that here. There's a bunch of noise out there in the entrepreneur community, especially when it relates to finances. And when you're trying to run your business, you just don't have time for that. And I know that you would rather be doing literally anything other than recording expenses and logging into your accounting software. So I'm bringing you practical advice without any of the fluff, just like your best friend would. So turn the volume up, grab your gin and tonic, and let's dive into this week's theme. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cocktails and Capital episode 44. Today, we have another guest episode with the wonderful Wendy from Bake Deliveries. Is it Bake Deliveries? Is it the what? What? How do I? It is. It is. It's Bake. I always introduce myself as Bake spelled B4K3. And I I tend now more now to go by Bake Baking Service because yeah, fancy. Yeah. No, that's good. I've I've looked at it for Oh my gosh, I think I followed you for like a year and a half now. And I've looked at it this whole time. And I was, I think one time I was talking to a friend and I was like, yeah, you know, the B4KE. <laughs> she was like, do you mean bank? I was like, no, just literally. She's like, no, 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 no. Seriously, I have, a, I have a script at markets that it's like, it's it's just bank. It's just it's bank. Just- they're, they're like staring at the logo, like really trying to make something of it. I'm like, it's just bank. Clever, though. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, Computer nerds. That's so funny. But you are obviously baker, and I would say you're kind of locally famous in the area. For... Not quite internationally famous yet. No, no, unfortunately, <laughs> but we'll get there. But you have some really great bread, sourdough, biscuits, scones, brownies. I mean, you kind of do in all of the baking realm, everything but cookies, I'd say. Oh, I do cookies, too. I just... Do you? Yeah, I can't. I can't do everything all the time as much as I try. <laughs> we cannot do everything all at once, which is exactly why we're doing this podcast today. Because we're going to talk about balance today. If we, if you followed me on Instagram for a while, you know there's a lot of content out there about balancing your work with your personal life and making sure that we take our rest and our responsibilities are handled business wise, but we are still taking care of ourselves and we're eliminating as much stress as we can from our business and our, you know, regular life. And Wendy here still has a full-time job and is doing this big side hustle at the same time. And we want to make it quite clear that she will continue to be doing her full-time job. (laughs) Yeah, that's... We are not looking at leaving. (laughs) That's that's the plan anyway. Like it's yeah, you know, and people ask why why do you do this? And I'm like, why not? Why not? Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to look at that. I was gonna ask, why did you start doing this? I know that you've had is I looked on your Instagram or was it your website? Your sourdough is like decades old. Like it's like older than me, I think. Well, not not quite that old, but no, my, my starters, I mean, I, I wish it was. My starter is about eight years old at this point, I think. But yeah, I, I mean, I started doing it like so many bakers. I'm sure people have heard this story however many times, but during the pandemic, everyone's locked inside and sad and like their kids are driving them nuts. And they were like, can you please drop off some brownies or some cookies or something to keep us entertained because I'm going to go crazy. 
And I said, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll come by on Wednesday to Virginia Beach and I'll just go around to people's houses and drop things off. And then after a couple months of that, it was like, oh, hey, I left you some money on the, on the under the doormat. And I was like, all right, that's, okay. that's a thing. And it just kind of spiraled out of control from there, depending on how you look at it. And yeah, it just it just got to the point where I was getting requests like, can you come to Chesapeake on Saturday? Can you come here on Sunday? And I was like driving all over the place trying to like get to all these places and get to all these people. And it just kept going. That yeah, that's pretty much think how most businesses start. I every interview that I've had on this podcast has been a COVID business, which is a little bit crazy to think about. But I feel like there was such an influx. I mean, we know this, you know, off statistics, there was such an influx in COVID started businesses. And I think people, the creativity came out just a little bit when COVID happened and we did get bored and we needed to do more with our time that wasn't available, you know, beforehand. So when we talk about that creativity, did you start with like all these recipes that you kind of had in the back pocket and then like all your friends just knew that you were really good at baking and then asking for for treat delivery or it was kind of a kind of a mix i definitely had some things that i was bringing to parties or bringing to baby showers or like i had done like a couple of like small weddings and stuff where people like oh can you make those cookies that you made for my birthday two years ago or you know whatever and it was just things that i had like tried out and were like oh this is really good and so i was kind of known for a few specific things and then when I started expanding, like people would request like, oh, do you know how to make this? And I was like, I mean, I can figure it out. Like it's, what is it? It's just science. Like we, we can figure this out. And so I yeah. just started expanding and expanding. And then people started asking. I was already making sourdough at that point. I'd been messing with it for probably about three years at that point. And then people started asking about like, I've never eaten sourdough before. Can you bring me some of that? And it's like, okay, you know, and then I started playing with adding things to it, adding cheddar jalapeno and kind of just playing around with ex- expanding it you know and yeah <laughs> your face when i said cheddar jalapeno you were like yeah <laughs> cheddar jalapeno is so good if you've never had it and you're local you have to get some it's so good it's my favorite <laughs> it's a total sidebar but had you been baking for a while prior to covid like i know the sourdough had been a few years in but have you always baked like is this a childhood hobby yeah somewhat i can remember when i was a kid my dad always made our birthday cakes like it was it was his his little domestic thing i guess and sometimes he would bake throughout the year too but i can remember like standing there like watching him with the piping tips and like doing all the things you're supposed to be doing and like watching him so from a young age i was kind of like fascinated by some of the like the science and technicality behind it but nobody in my family really baked bread and i think at some point like we were we were having some family dinner and everybody was talking about bread and i was like oh i'll just make it and they're like you've never made bread before again i can figure it out we'll try this yeah <laughs> the the addiction was born so i was probably i don't know 23 or 24 when i the first couple times i tried to make bread so it was terrible but we, you gotta start somewhere yeah and bread is a little bit intimidating like i i do like to bake a lot i used to do a lot of cake and like brownies i won't eat anything that i bake so i don't have like a big sweet tooth or anything but that's I the problem bread. i had yeah, I've tried bread and it is always like, it is not good. It's not like yours at all. It's just, it's terrible. I will just buy your bread instead. <laughs> let, let me do the work for you and the let, screaming. Yes, yeah. Yes, <laughs> screaming. The screaming. There are some challenges in this 
type of industry when we're doing this kind of production. And you do a lot of farmers markets, if you wonderful listeners don't know. And your production schedule is pretty tight, right? Especially with working full time. So I know on, you know, like a Sunday market, I think you you generally do it on like the the day before or Friday and then, you know, make sure that everything is set. Your pre-orders for the market on Sunday close today. So there is a tight schedule of like what you can do versus what you can't do. So how did all that come about? Like, did you just kind of trial and error your production schedule? Like, how do you structure that? And then in that same sense, like balance that into your full-time work as well? Yeah, I, I when I went to go do my first market, I really thought I was like, I know, I know how this is going to work. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and it's going to be great. That was that was not how any of it worked. That was not correct. <laughs> it was not the easiest way to do anything. So it was really a, a work in progress to figure out what works and like cutting things that like, am I spending too much time on this? Is this really the, the most efficient way of doing this? Because that's kind of how my brain works is I try to like find efficiencies and like make things, you know, as, as much as possible. And I rely so heavily on lists and that's how I do that is is I literally make a list for every single market, usually them like the Monday beforehand, if it's like a Saturday or Sunday market. And I just start going through the list. I know exactly what needs to be done. I pick a night where it's like, okay, I'm going to get two or three of these tasks done. And then I know once Friday afternoon hits and I'm finishing work for like a Sunday market, I know as soon as I get home what I have to do. And I have a schedule of, of I know how long it takes and I know like exactly what needs to be done. Yeah. It's incredibly structured. And I mean, baking in itself is an incredibly structured process. So that makes complete and total sense. Do you find that you can be a little bit flexible in that schedule if like people like me come in late and ask (laughs) or not pre-ordered on time? It it really depends on the market. So like I've got, you know, I did an event in January that was a smaller market that was a little bit more chill. And I had someone contact me the day before and they're like, oh, my God, I didn't realize you were going to be like five minutes from my house. Is there any way that I can grab X from you? Um, You know, I was like, yeah, no problem. Like I had enough time and space and and capacity to be able to to do that for them. But, you know, when I do a, a super busy market at you know, that I know is going to be slammed, but I've already got 20 pre-orders, you know, or whatever, then sometimes mm-hmm. I have to kind of be like, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, I don't know if that's really good, but I can offer people an alternative. You know, I try to work with people as much as I possibly can. So it can be flexible, but there's sourdough also, interestingly enough, is sort of, it's time oriented. It, it takes mm-hmm. a certain amount of time, but it's also slightly unpredictable in that time. So there is mm-hmm. like wiggle room, but there's also certain times that you have to get something done by or it's simply not going to be done. So yeah. I think we were joking about that last weekend when my power went out and you yeah. were coming to pick up something from me. And I was like, yeah, just that hour, if I'd had a market that would have, it would have been a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. No, I I remember reading that. And it was just like, oh my God, I hope that, that works. <laughs> this, this is a tragedy. For, for sure. And sometimes you have to be, you think you are prepared for something and then something happens that you weren't expecting and you're like yep. oh god but now you're prepared for it for the future yeah in theory <laughs> in theory yeah you can't be prepared for everything but we can try our best yes uh, do you i know that you also do like stock for the market as well like i know on the instagram today you had posted that pre-orders were closed but you are going to have stock so how do you plan for the level of stock that you need in addition to the pre-orders like is there a set 
percentage? Is it just kind of whatever you have leftover dough wise, so like whatever your batch will make or how do you kind of plan for that? That also depends on the market size as well too. Mm-hmm. Like my, my batching and my stock for a small market is very different than from a bigger yeah. one. And that has come over time and experience of doing markets. So I kind of have a mm-hmm. mental map of like, okay, this is a smaller market. This is about how much I bring to a small market. And I've kind of got like item slots, if that makes mm-hmm. sense of like an item mm-hmm. type and about how long it takes to make. And I know yeah. how many of those things I can bring to that market. And then how many loaves of sourdough I can bring to that market and how long that's going to take me. And then when I do a bigger market, it's kind of the same thing, just in a larger scale. I have more item slots, more time that needs to be taken on those items. And it's just been kind of experience. Like with Hunger Bash, I knew like there were certain items I wanted to bring using Mm -hmm. some of their items. And then I just tailor the rest of the menu around what gaps I know are available for my time. It's it's a lot of time management, quite honestly. So like when I get through like a market prep and I've like perfectly used those timers and everything's out of the oven and I'm packaging stuff, I'm just sitting there satisfied. Like, yeah, yeah. that just went exactly how it was supposed to. <laughs> yeah, it's very process management oriented. It's uh, it's honestly, it's a little impressive because I would honestly just be sitting in front of the oven crying. So, so. I mean, I can't say that I've never done that. Because I definitely like I remember I I remember doing a small event uh, when I first first started the business. It may have even technically been before I officially went into business, but someone had contacted me about like a a neighborhood block party they wanted a bunch of stuff for, and it was my first time doing like big batching. And my husband was like, "Oh, well, this is good because you're thinking about going into business officially and and doing right. farmers markets and." This will be a good practice. And it was like, I think it was three or four batches of scones. I, I may have had a meltdown on my floor uh, because I didn't know how to time anything in the oven. And like the bottoms burned on one set because I was trying to like mess with the next set and wasn't paying attention. And oh now I'm juggling like there's markets where I'm doing, you know, I think I think so- that I think it was spooky summer. Carrie holds the record for number of biscuits. I think I did 13 batches of biscuits just of one flavor. So now I'm like, it's like nothing. And I'm doing like whatever. 15 other bakes along with it. <laughs> so, That's yeah, much crying, much crying. Yeah. Definitely crying in front yeah. of the oven. <laughs> We've all sat at our respective work centers and cried. But I just, sounds like to me is Thanksgiving prep every day of my life. And I just don't know if I can. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. I guess that is the best comparison that like a quote unquote layman would have is you know, like when you have to time six dishes coming out of the oven and people arriving, but the people arriving are you leaving for the market. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you because I have to pack the car and like do all that stuff too. Yeah. And all of your supplies and everything and, and just yep. make sure your head's on straight. And then the customer service aspect of a market too is pretty intense and, you know, making sure people are happy. I would say that we generally have like a a rather chill market customer base in this area. Everybody seems relatively friendly and and nice enough. But and I I asked Carrie this, our friend from Peanut City Candle, back on her guest episode, if she had ever had any kind of like not great experiences with customers <laughs> and how she handled that. And she was like, I've never had that experience. <laughs> <laughs> so that ma'am was proven to be a lie. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not gonna call her out. <laughs> no, right. But that does not necessarily help the listener who is thinking about going into farmer's market life. So my question for you is, have you ever had that kind of experience? Do you have any advice for anybody who may 
come into a rather stressful customer service experience just on the fly like that because farmers markets they are go 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 and they're on the fly and people can get a little bit grouchy sometimes <laughs> yeah absolutely i i i've been very lucky like carrie said and I, i've not really had anything really really terrible happen i used to work retail years ago so i i'm kind of mentally prepared for that like slightly awkward, problematic customer or whatever. And I've been very lucky that I've never had anybody remotely close to what I had in retail at times. But I think that specifically for my business, one thing that gets sort of argued about a lot is sourdough and like what constitutes sourdough and, and people put certain qualifiers on it. And there's a very divisive argumentative side to some customers with like, whether the, the last you I know this is you never I never thought I would fight with somebody about sourdough but it's happened and it's like okay you know so there's kind of like uh, people put these qualifiers in their mind of like oh is your sourdough sour and I'm like okay that that's not really quantifiable and sometimes things like ingredients because as a cottage baker I'm required to list out all of my ingredients and people don't realize that things that cheddar like cheddar cheese is not an ingredient. It's got a bunch of sub ingredients. So I'm required to list all of those out. So I've had things like people coming up and like, why does your stuff have so many ingredients in it? And I'm like, bro, it's flour, salt, water. Like, yeah, that's it. But I have to list all of those sub ingredients. And they kind of get, sometimes people get really upset by that and they don't understand what you mean. <laughs> so yeah. it can get kind of frustrating. You just have to kind of be patient and explain, like, I am required by law to post mm -hmm. these things and you know these things have some ingredients and you just try to be as patient as you possibly can and and just sometimes though you also have to nod and smile i've mm -hmm. i've learned that the hard way i learned that from my time in retail sometimes you just have to let somebody have their misconception and you mm -hmm. you don't have to get the last word and you don't have to be right and for me it's just as long as i know i'm presenting my brand and i know my product and i'm presenting it in a way that i'm happy with if they want to buy it, they can buy it. And if it's not jiving with them, then they can keep walking. I'm not, I, I, it, it's, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, no, that's incredibly valid. I've had the same experience when working the booth for Carrie. Candles can be divisive, I hear too. So. <laughs> I'm not great at the tent. I, my personality is suited for this desk and these monitors and that's about I mean, that's kind of how I felt before I started the business. It was one of my hesitations with doing yeah. farmers markets because I didn't love working retail. And I've, I, I've, I've been accused of many things over the years. One of them being that I'm not the most warm person in the world. I think it, it genuinely, it depends too, when you're doing something that you are more passionate about and something that you love, like retail, we are not we're not involved in that that's not our it's not our company i could right right i don't care if you buy these shoes exactly <laughs> i'm not when i worked in restaurants like i'm so sorry i don't care if you order this or not this is the restaurant but when it's you know your bread your pride your tent or carrie's candles carrie's tent carrie's pride you know those are different things and i think we you, we also have such a good market community of vendors that are so absolutely like, strongly supportive of everyone that it's so easy to feel more pride in your in your business and in what you're doing. And I just love that for you guys. You we know. we really do. I I was so shocked when I kind of got into the community because I was extremely nervous about 
starting to do markets and like, am I going to make friends with anybody? Am I going to meet anyone? Am I just going to be standing here by myself in 95 degree heat trying to sell bread? Like, or, or as Chelsea from Tumbezi and Friends says, I'm going to, you know, put you guys in parking lots, you know, in the heat, yeah. you know, while you sell things, you know. But I, the, the community here is absolutely incredible, both on the vendor side, but also on the, the customer side. Like I have met some of the nicest customers over, over my two years of doing this. And like some, some people that like came to my very first market that will still pop their head in at like a random yeah. market and be like, Hey, I'm glad you're still around. And it's like, this, oh. this is just amazing, you know, and especially as someone yeah. who I kind of grew up with the concept and I think a lot of women have this that like women we're taught that women are catty and non-supportive mm-hmm. and and we fight and we're you know whatever and I, I kind of grew up with that sort of mindset and it's it's not the case at all like once you actually get into it and you meet some of these people where it's so supportive and, and wonderful mm-hmm. it really is and like even even over here is like the the behind the scenes type of person everybody is so incredibly supportive and everybody's just so stupidly nice like i i just love it it's just so kind and it's a it's a refreshing refreshing it's a refreshing part of owning a business and i think also in this time and you know we all have our separate things like carrie's in our candle lab every day you are doing your full-time job and baking and so we are you know still sitting here alone and doing these things but we have people in our back pocket that we can we can reach out to and people who understand and so that support network is so so big and I know like, yeah. like I I talked about that in the very first episode that we ever did that even if everybody else around you is not supporting the idea of you going into business you have to support you and then you find people who support you Yes. It's like, it's kind of like this hamster wheel where like you kind of get into it. You're like, I can do this. I can do this. And then you start getting people in your corner that are like shouting at you. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And maybe eventually you start believing it too. And now you're like, oh, wow. Like it's just this, this cycle of kind of support. And it is, it's really wonderful. I I was not expecting to find that when I started the business. And even once I started meeting some other vendors and kind of cautiously like, you know, talking to them and like getting to know them a little bit better you're still kind of hesitant to like do I you know do I ask them for advice do I look like I'm weak do I look like I don't know how to handle this situation you know because I'm no I'm in business I'm supposed to know all of these things and instead like just just yesterday like I had a situation and I like ran it by another business owner I was like hey sanity check me does this sound fair does this sound right she was like no I think I think you're good you know and I, I just was like, cool, thank you. Like a five minute conversation, you know, just just like just want to make sure that like I'm not, you know, stepping out of bounds here, you know? Yeah. No, it's so important. Just like especially with these COVID businesses and being self-employed, like we got stuck kind of relying on ourselves and our own brain. And it's really hard to do everything by yourself. But we try anyway. And then, you know, we just cry in front of a robin. So <laughs> with with birth scones, yeah. With bird scones, so <laughs> where we sit at our desks and cry forever. <laughs> it is what it is, though. But pivoting real quick, because this is an accounting podcast. You are the only interview that I've had who we don't actually do monthly bookkeeping or anything. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. You're in this unique position, so I get to kind of ask you the actual questions that I have about bookkeeping and how it relates to this podcast. So sweet, rapid fire. No, I was kidding. I know earlier you had said that, you know, you cut things depending on the efficiency level of the baking process and things like that. But when, you know, I've talked to other people in the past, we do have to cut 
programs or we have to cut inventory items or things that are just not as profitable as they may be or as we would like them to be. So how have you handled, you know, tracking the profit per flavor of biscuit or what's popular and things like that, just to make sure that you are staying with what's profitable and you're not expending energy on things that are not actually working for you? It's a mixture of, so one element of my business that might be different for other kinds. I mean, I think it depends on what you sell. Um, material costs for me are are probably my biggest expense because all of, yes. not only are they materials, but they're also perishable. So they only last for so long and then they get eaten and they're gone. So I keep, I have this crazy kind of brain tracker for like how much materials are costing. And sometimes things will take a jump, but I have to go, Mm, okay, is that still, can I, can I one, keep selling it at the price I'm currently selling it at? Can it sustain a price increase and me not feel terrible about doing that to my customers? And three, is there maybe an alternative brand or an alternative way I can get this? Or can I buy it in a larger bulk quantity that pulls the cost down per ounce or whatever? And then also it's listening to customer feedback too. Like I'll message people sometimes and say like, hey, that new flavor of biscuit that I put out, how are you feeling about it? Oh, I really like these. Okay, you know, it's okay, mental note that people seem to be liking these. You watch what sells at a market, which that's complicated because yeah. I have figured out in the last, even just like the last six months, there is no consistency to any of that. And the second I thought I had that figured out, it it doesn't match with reality sometimes. And sometimes it's literally just what people are in the mood for that day. You can't even go based on like, well, at this location, this flavor of sourdough tends to do better because then the next time I would go there and it was the complete opposite. This other flavor yeah. I didn't bring that time, everybody was asking for it. That's so yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of, it's a little bit like you can try to control it to a certain point, but it's also mm. kind of uncontrollable at times. Mm. Yeah. And I, I put a lot of importance on my pricing and I really don't like doing price increases. So I... I find it like I try to buy the same brands of things and the same pricing and the same quantities so that I know that I'm still able to offer that product at that price. I think your prices are really, really reasonable for the level of homemade baked goods that I... That's good to hear because that's an awkward question to ask people, you know? It's it's sometimes every once in a while someone's like, oh, is, is that it when they go to check out? And then other times you can see people kind of peering at the price tag and you're like, I can't tell if you can't read the price tag or if you're... Because you're scoffing you at it, or yeah, are you in shock, or are you just <laughs> right, read? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but I mean, that's so. that's kind of the whole thing with small business too, and shopping mm -hmm. local, and what you know, local math as they call it, local and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. If, if someone wants to support local, a lot of times they won't they won't mind how it costs. But I still have to, I still have to go home at the end of the day and feel good about what I right. brought. Did you, I know you said that you have done a price increase in the past. Do you have like a percentage that you try to keep the markup at? Like we don't have to go into what it is, but just like a way that you've figured out how to do your pricing that works best for you. And like, did you kind of develop it or did you find like a calculator online or how did you kind of come up with it? It's, it's kind of a mix. So generally with bakeries, there's, you do material costs times three mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. there's like a 30% markup on top of that. That's generally what you aim for. I... I have always tried to keep things also, you have to look at your local market as well and kind of figure out like, what are other people charging for similar items? And I'm not saying that you have to charge the same as or less than your competitors. Like you need to charge what you need to charge to pay your bills. Right. 
but you do especially with food yes exactly exactly but i do feel like with food in particular you do kind of have to watch your local market and and see where you're at and kind of keep that in mind so yeah i kind of factor all those things down like a few months back my bread flour went through the roof and my my husband went to go restock and he called me and he was like wendy it's gone up 16 dollars a bag since the last time i bought it yeah and i i kind of was like and until that point you know i hadn't really increased my sourdough prices but i had to put a temporary price increase on and i was you know super apologetic about it and thankfully when we restocked a couple weeks ago the price had gone back down to normal again it's the happiest i've ever been to like reduce those prices back down again because to me it was just that threshold that i was at that i was like i'm not i'm not comfortable going beyond this do you find with your price increase, especially since you're not as comfortable doing them, that transparency with everybody is the best to like do a full blown announcement that your prices do have to go up? Or do you think that if you didn't necessarily make an announcement, do you think people would still be okay with price increases? I have always done an announcement anytime I've had to increase prices. I don't I don't know if people appreciate that based on the the feedback I often get, which is usually people are very supportive. They're I mean, let's be real, like, again, with my business being a food business, everyone's going to the grocery store. Everyone knows that the cost of stuff is going up. I mean, and that's also another reason I'm conscious about raising my prices is because I know everyone's paying more to buy their groceries to start with. So, you know, trying to be mindful of that. But for the most part, people are supportive. I've never, I I don't know. I mean, maybe some people have stopped ordering from me because of a price increase, but no one has ever directly said to me like, oh, this is this is too much. Yeah. You're, you're price gouging, you know, or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I've been lucky on that front. We would just have to fight at that point. Like, I'll take it instead. It's fine. Yeah. I'll just take those biscuits instead. Thanks. <laughs> Do you, I know when you guys moved and you got your new house that you created like a little commercial kitchen area for you specifically. Was there a kind of a financial review that you did in order to make that kind of big decision? I know that's obviously something that you wanted in order to have better production, but was there any sort of like financial review on that financial decision making that we had to do in order to to do such a thing? And and with that, I mean, like looking at the business finances specifically. Yeah, absolutely. That was I mean, my husband and I had been talking about moving for a number of years but the business is ultimately what really pushed that decision and it mm-hmm. kind of forced our hand in some ways so we had to have a lot of discussions about you know expectations for the new house even just looking at the space whether it would work and then okay well how much are we wanting to spend in the first month how much are we wanting to spend in 6 months what is a year down the road look like and i am extremely risk adverse Mm-hmm. to a fault Same. and that that Same is something girl. i will fully yeah i will fully admit to it i i will sit in a in a safe space as long as i possibly can before making yeah. a decision and so yeah we we had to have many many discussions and and on, like i mean for example i think you know about this like we made the decision to move our oven from our prior space into the new one and that was going to become mm-hmm. my business oven so the business, quote unquote, paid us for for that oven and then it died. Like we paid all this money to have an electrician come out and wire it and then it died. And I was going, seriously? So that's one of those perfect examples where you can't plan for everything. And that's like D-Day scenario with m- me and my risk adverseness, you know, with like I had this all planned out. We were good. I was comfortable with this decision and I am I am not comfortable with buying a new oven. Um, yeah. 
but you know, I had to keep reminding myself that, you know, the business I've been, I've been working extremely hard for the last, yeah, at that point, year and a half to build up the business and it can afford it. It it can afford yeah. this. This is exactly what why we have business expenses and why this is theirs for these situations. Right. And why we plan for the yes. worst and hope for the best. Yeah. Yes, so. absolutely. Yeah. That was unfortunate. I do remember that. When my husband called me, it was just I was at work and he was like, Hey, so the electrician just came and the the outlet works. And I was like, Oh, awesome, cool. Like I have a I have a market coming up. So that's that's great. And he's like, Yeah, the oven does not work. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was one of those things where I just had to laugh to myself because honestly, too, moving is so incredibly so stressful, stressful anyway. And as so many things had gone wrong, and I was like, you know what? It's fine. It's all fine. With the fires fun. around you. And yep. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> since you are doing your own bookkeeping, which we love, we are, we are big DIY bookkeeper scorers around here. Do you have a process that you generally stick to? When you're doing your bookkeeping, do you have a timeline? If you are listening and you don't already know, I do love a DIY bookkeeper if we stay <laughs> on top of things. But if it if we don't stay on top of things, it gets very overwhelming. We run into cleanups and then we run into big price tags. So I know that you're very process driven and I'm sure your books are absolutely beautiful. I've never seen them, but I, I trust that. I- I was going to say, you're about to do my year end, so maybe reserve that judgment until you see what I've been doing, and then you go, oh, hold on, Wendy. Like, about that organization that you think you have. <laughs> but we are keeping track of things, and we we know what, you know, especially with the oven, like, you know, we're we're keeping track of what we're spending on product, we're keeping track of what we're bringing in. What does your process kind of look like on a, let's go a week by week, I guess? Yeah. So essentially, I I think a lot of people use spreadsheets. You know, I keep track of any money coming in. I detail, you know, the date, the amount, the what it came from, and then I calculate my sales tax for every single segment. And then I make a note to myself: I have to pay quarterly sales taxes. So I have deadlines on my calendar, like a week in advance, like, hey, you have to pay this next week. And then I have a second reminder two days beforehand: hey, you absolutely have to do this right now. If I get to that second reminder, I get mad at myself because to me, that means that I've like not kept on top of things. But yeah, and I sit down every single week and I go through my I my credit card statements. So I, I utilize, I'm lucky that both of my business cards use buckets, like they use those tags that you can put expenses mm-hmm. into. And yeah. so I think I had talked to you last year about like what expenses should I be categorizing and I made tags for all of those and I just make sure that once a week I sit down and go through all the expenses from that week and I put everything into buckets and I just make sure at the most I try not to go more than two weeks on that that is Um, so perfect I love that yeah well and also it I I feel like I for me because I I do it at the same time as my personal finances which helps a lot too like I just I sit down and do personal I close everything out and then I go okay business time and I sit down and go through all of that as well and I feel like just it's for me and my lifestyle, it's just all about structure. It's just making sure that I have that. I literally have a standing appointment on the calendar to spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes on doing this every week. Yeah. And that I feel like I've been preaching that for a really long time. <laughs> that standing appointment with yourself. like, And, you know, you have to make it enjoyable. Like, I, I don't want to go through my stuff either, but I... No, I, no one does. <laughs> No one does, but I do it every Friday morning and I sit here with my cup of coffee 
and I put Gilmore Girls on and we, sit, <laughs> and we, we do our finances and that's it. Like it's enjoyable though. It's a, it's a good thing. Like if you sit here and you go, oh my gosh, I'm going to crack open a beer because this is so stressful and I don't want to do this. And it's not, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. No, and I mean, I think too, I think people sometimes also let things spiral out of control. I yes. mean, I know I've definitely been guilty of that in my life. And then the the longer you go, the, the more you know you're going to have to do, the more you know that it's wrong or you've forgotten why you bought this thing at Costco. And you don't remember whether it was a material expense or a, a I don't know, whatever other kind of expense, whether it was gas or travel expense or you know, whatever. Yeah. But keeping on top of it really, really helps. It's not so scary week to week. And even if I do no. skip a week, it's it's still like, okay, this is this is still two weeks. This is, you know, manageable or whatever. You just you have to get into some kind of rhythm that works for you. And, you know, maybe for some people, if they really can't manage it, maybe they're considerably busier than I am, or, you know, maybe investing in a bookkeeper is the way to go. You you that's it's yes, you're spending money on it, but the return on your own mental health is probably mm-hmm. worth more than anything, you know? Probably the best ad I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> no, I'm, I, the, the last year for me has been a whole lot of, you know what? I'm 36. I work very hard. I can pay someone to do that. Yeah. I, I do not need to do that myself. I was very much a constant everything myself person for a long time. And yeah, I, I mean, I, had a maid in my house an hour ago so oh, i love that for you i love this so much i miss my cleaning girl so much it, well especially running a food business like the yeah. amount like flour flour gets all over yeah, everything yeah. if you didn't know and so it just it's just one of those things that you can do and you're like i have the money for this there's no reason that i can't yeah. outsource some yeah. of this and not stress myself to death about it so bookkeeping's no yeah. different if you really find it hard to keep up with your deadlines and and you're paying late fees and you're paying all of these other mm-hmm. things the bookkeeper's probably cheaper than late fees generally i try to be <laughs> i mean yeah no credit card interest no. fees and all that stuff yeah <laughs> yes yeah no we don't want any of that no that's a very good point and that is part of the balance that like we talked about in the beginning if in order for you to maintain a lower amount of stress, you have to give things up. You cannot do everything. We we just, it's physically impossible. We just can't. Yeah. And I don't want to do everything either. So I think those are very valid points. So on wrapping this up, I have one last question for you. And we do this with everybody. If you were to sit in front of somebody right now who is thinking about opening a business, no matter what kind of business it is, and you could give them one piece of advice on how to get going or how to get over some sort of fear, what would you tell them? So I think I would tell them to figure out what image they want to project to a customer. What does shopping with them look like? What does using their services look like to a customer? You know, what do you want what you do to say to someone because i think that a lot of people get tied up in well i can do this to supplement my income i can do this to have more time with my kids i can whatever the many reasons people go into business but i think sometimes that message gets lost a little bit like you know what purpose are you serving within the market and i think that once you sit down and you find that customers it will come back in customers to you because yeah. 
having a clear vision, having a, a clear brand, having whatever that might look like is really, really important for a customer to know who you are and why, why they should be using you for a service or why they should be buying bread from you. It goes a lot further than just like, yeah, let me just stand here in a parking lot sweating selling bread. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's actually really good advice. I've never had anybody touch on kind of figuring out like who you are and why you want to do this first before just going and doing it. So that was really, that was great. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just, again, the experience with like, kind of it goes in I guess it goes into some mental health aspects you know like finding yourself and finding your voice you know it's a common marketing tool is like what what is what is your voice but I think it can go a lot deeper than just what are you saying in the social media posts I think people take it at face value and really I think it goes a lot deeper than that it's 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 who you are and what you're presenting to someone yeah especially when we're so small our businesses are literally an extension of ourselves um, yes and if you're trying to do something with your business that you're not in reality, you're going to get burned out really, really quickly. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really great. Thank you for that. <laughs> All right. Well, this was actually a really great episode. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for I, having me. I thank you for being here. If you guys are not already, you should be following Wendy on Instagram. We will link her profile in the show notes and obviously tag her everywhere. If you liked this episode, please uh, screenshot it, tag me in your stories, tag Wendy in your stories. Give us all your feedback, unless it's mean, and then I don't want it. So <laughs> we, we, can, we can take that retail experience elsewhere. <laughs> yes, please. But thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another guest, and I will see you guys later. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and follow Tatum Accounting on Instagram. You can also do us a huge favor by leaving a review. It's the best way to support us. Let's catch up next week, same time, same place. <laughs>